Most people just, especially today, Hirsch, people want instant gratification. They want the instantaneous result. They want the disposable type thing instead of repairing things. It's, everything's just made for like temporary basis nowadays. And it's unfortunate because success, one of the main principles is just being able to execute consistently over time. And most people are unwilling to do the time part, even though we all know it's the reality. We know it takes you 10 years to master something. We know that, but we somehow think there's this magic potion or elixir or get rich quick thing that's going to be able to shortcut the time process. And it doesn't work. We can shortcut the knowledge process by having mentors and coaches and people that give us the examples and show us the mistakes they've made. But you're still going to have to execute. And you're still going to have to demonstrate. You still have to get punched in the face a few times and learn the hard way. And then you get the result. And that's 10 to 20 years down the road. Nobody wants to hear that. Martians landed, yes. wearing Prada suits, yes. drinking Henry's seltzer, yes. chewing juicy fruit. Yes, and your branding here. Yes, brand. Your message here. Yes, and a verse about. Yes, your product here. Yes, I'm Hirsch Redman. Yes, and I'm a message therapist. Yes, and I have a podcast. Yes, brand. That's right. That's it. Yes, we'll help you fix the world. Yes, or your bottom line. All right. Your bottom line. Get it. I get it. Welcome to the S-Brand Podcast. My guest today is not from England, but he's a lover of comedy and a lover of improv and a student of improv. He's a business executive coach. He's a high-performance coach for executives and high-performing executive performers and performances. And uh, he has an amazing dexterity with the English language, which is where this comes from now. As soon as you hear him speak, as soon as you hear the first words out of the mouth of my esteemed guest today, you'll understand why I chose this accent in particular uh, to uh, to welcome him here to the Yes Brand podcast. Now, listen, listen, people. Um, when I recorded this interview, it was quite a bit, well, just a little bit ago, about a few weeks or a month ago, month's time. And I hadn't uh, yet become such an ardent fan of his podcast. His podcast, just to give you a hint, is called 365 Driven. Do you know who he is? Do you know? Do you know? You probably know. Many of you probably know, but I'm not going to give it away just yet. No, 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 no. Um, I love listening to this show. He has so many amazing people on, so many guests with so much valuable information. It makes me rather a little bit jealous. I'm a bit envious of this man, as are many, 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 many people, uh, but I'm not a hater. No, no, no. Uh, yes, yes, yes. I am a fan. I am a fan of this man. Um, I'll give you another hint. Uh, what? How does that work? Did you get that? What? Lee, Lee, come on in here, Lee. No, I, I see, I told you his name. Ah, do you like my blouse today? Is it a Tony blouse? Do you think it's a rather stylish kind of Tony blouse? All right, well, if you haven't got it by now, I can't spoon feed you. I'm not one of those people who believes that the audience is stupid. Do you understand? Do you get me? I've, I've so often been told, remember, you're speaking to three-year-olds. They told me that when I was writing my book. They said, remember, your base reader has the intelligence and education of a three-year-old. 
And uh, so you have to, we don't like to say dumb it down. Let's just say keep it at their level. But my listeners aren't like that. My listeners, for the most part, are well beyond my level, as is this guest. So please buckle in, buckle up, toughen up, suckle up, and get ready to learn about business from a heart-centered, kind, and straightforward and honestly kind of uh, uh, a really kind of brilliant in a very uh, laid back and uh, comfortable way. So get comfortable then. Get comfortable then. And in uh, no more clues for you. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome to the Yes Brand podcast, Tony Watley of 365 Driven. Welcome, Tony, to the Yes Brand podcast. Yes Brand, Hurst. Hey, thank you for the opportunity, man. I'm looking forward to getting to know you better, and I'd love to talk about these kind of subjects. Comedy, business, life. That's right. I was going to say, Tony Watley, famous, you know, Tony Watley, stand-up comedian, improviser. You know, I was going to go through that whole thing. Author, and then they would figure you wrote books on comedy. But now, do you think that you're, at this point an authority on comedy? No, not, you, not at all. <laughs> not, not at you're all. You're a student of comedy. Always. Probably a lifetime student, let's be real. I mean, we always watched funny movies or stand-up, and I was actually going back through Netflix the other day. I was looking for something to watch, and I went back to the old Dave Chappelle shows, and yeah. you know, it was still on the aspect ratio of like the square TV screens. Right. And I was like, hey, cool, I'll watch it. You know, it's still funny today. Still funny today. Yeah. I mean, you can go way back to funny stuff in it and it's still crack. Like, yeah. and, and it can be stand up or it can be sketch or it mm -hmm. can be, I mean, look at Saturday Night Live, look at In Living Color, look at, look at, you know, I Love Lucy. It doesn't matter. Like, really great comedy has yeah. longevity. That's, yes. that's the thing that I've always liked about comedy, I think, in the back of my mind, even as a little kid, was mm -hmm. I'm looking at stuff like Abbott and Costello or, or Three Stooges. And it was, you know, decades before I was born. And yet it, it has me laughing my ass off. And I'm like, this, how do you make people feel this good? Like, that's, I think, what I came away with. Like, how do they make people feel this good? You so, know, people don't change. People physiologically, we don't, we, emotionally, a lot of the things we suffer from today, we suffered from thousands of years ago. I mean, if you need examples of that, go read a classic book like Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. You know, the guy wrote, yeah. ran the Roman Empire and it's his diary essentially and it's his thoughts. And as you're reading it, you realize the problems that he had thousands of years ago, the same fucking <laughs> problems people have today. So it's good stuff. And my son loves that book and, you know, he's a writer. He's 30 now, but he was about 12 when he was, and he, he adapted the Marcus Aurelius to... Uh, for a TV script to mm. try, try to make a TV script out of it. And it was just a, kind of a little project that he did to amuse himself. But the fact is it was so relatable and you know, how do you relate and we'll get into your, your background a little bit, but how do you relate comedy to business? You're dealing with some big numbers, some serious communities, people who are focused on making money, not wasting money. How does it all line up for you? You know, I think comedy is just a, another form of communication that could lead to potential influence. So if you're doing things with good intentions and you're trying to influence a result, whether you're a leader in an organization 
or someone that's making videos or podcasts. At the same time, we need to really start thinking about the importance of influence, especially going forward when we're starting to see a more social media requirement type forward facing type personal branding thing. And I think that a lot of times people will like to create the podcast. They want to do some videos or they want to write the book or, but they don't really invest in themselves from a professional level. I'm not just talking about watching and trying to regurgitate, but investing in themselves with coaches or mentors that are really good at influence and entertainment. Because I think that anytime we get on a microphone, anytime we get on a stage, anytime we're seen on a screen, you should be trying to think about how am I entertaining people? And it's not trying to be funny all the time. Sometimes you're just telling ghost stories or whatever. It's some form of entertainment. But I think that one key aspect is the make or break from people just really blowing up and growing a big audience and creating massive impact. And if they would just understand if I could just spend more time focusing on becoming an entertainer of some sorts, becoming a character of some sorts, they're going to get far better results in a much quicker time. And what makes, in your opinion, a really good coach? I said there's so many coaches out there for various mm. things. Even the term coach can be perceived and used different ways. What makes mm. a really great coach? I think that somebody just has to be able to show or demonstrate that they've got the results and they exemplify what they teach. Now, I think that for me, I'm always a high performer, so I want to make sure that even if I'm learning something that's not based on business. I want to make sure it's from an individual that's got the core values and the alignment that's showing that they're a high performance individual in many aspects of their life, whether it's financial, fitness, family, faith, all these different things that we try to look at from a human perspective. How am I judging them? Because we do judge. People think like, oh, we shouldn't judge people. But literally the Bible says that we should judge people, but you should also be worried about being judged in the same manner, right? It's a comparison. And I just look for people that are actually doing things and evidence that they have proof and results of what they're trying to teach you. Well, your company is called 365 Driven, and it's also kind of a 360 thing for you. It seems mm -hmm. like you are interested in that whole package. Are all those things important? Is fitness important? Is being in a good headspace important? What What's the the most important thing as you as somebody builds a business and thinks to themselves, well, someday I'm going to this is going to be big and I'm going to sell it or I'm going to I'm going to step back from it. Like mindset wise, what's the best attitude to come into business building with? I think that you have to pursue things that will lead to your potential fulfillment in life. I think a lot of times people focus too much on the financials. Maybe you say, hey, I want to be a multimillionaire. And you start looking at these different business models that could potentially lead you to become a multimillionaire. Maybe you're influenced by people in your peer group, or your friends or your social media. And they're thinking like, this is the fastest way to easy money. But they're really sacrificing their own core values, alignment, the things that make them happy, the things that light their fire. Because if you need examples of that, maybe you've had a job or a career or profession that you got compensated very well for but you didn't really enjoy going and you kind of maybe, maybe it sucked the life out of you. Right. But you're willing to just tolerate that because it paid you a certain amount of you know, money to be able to just accept what it is. That's not really a great way to live. It's not really pursuing fulfillment. You're not really feeling happy. You're not really getting a return on anything except for a financial reason. There's been careers and things that I've done in my past that hurt my health. You know, I just, didn't have time to do the exercises and it led me to eating unhealthy and just doing things that I just didn't want to do. Right. And so when I think about if you want to get a return, you got to think about the time factor. Most people just, especially today, Hirsch, people want 
instant gratification. They want the instantaneous result. They want the disposable type thing instead of repairing things. It's, everything's just made for like temporary basis nowadays. And it's unfortunate because success, one of the main principles is just being able to execute consistently over time. And most people are unwilling to do the time part, even though we all know it's the reality. We know it takes you 10 years to master something. We know that, but we somehow think there's this magic potion or elixir or get rich quick thing that's going to be able to shortcut the time process and it doesn't work. We can shortcut the knowledge process by having mentors and coaches and people that give us the examples and show us the mistakes they've made, but you're still going to have to execute and you're still going to have to demonstrate. You're still have to get punched in the face a few times and learn the hard way. And then you get the result and that's 10 to 20 years down the road. Nobody wants to hear that. Well, two, two, I have two things that come to mind. One is the longevity and time part, which as a car guy, I think is something you can probably speak on, you know? So I want to know a little bit about your history with cars and a little bit about your history in general. We'll get to the other thing in a minute. Tell me about your background and how you got to this point a little bit. I guess background, I grew up lower middle class, two working class parents. My mom's a Japanese immigrant, so I'm half Japanese. I was actually born in Japan in a military base. My dad was a Vietnam combat vet, and he's, he basically was U.S. Marine. And after the military, we moved back to Houston, where he worked in the oil refineries his entire career before he retired. My mom was a school, school cafeteria worker for her entire career before retiring. And so I got to see the value of hard work. And Every house that I grew up in, which was three of them, was basically a flip house. You would call that today. It was just kind of the worst, the cheapest house in the best school district that they could afford. So my sister and I could get a good education. And that was the sacrifices that we made. But the thing is, is I knew that there was affluence nearby and I could see evidence of that. And I had friends that were rich and things like that. But I always was, was taught to just appreciate what I had, right? I may have had the biggest crap box car at some point, but I always made sure that when I sold that car, it was in a much nicer condition than when I bought it. So I've always valued the things the the crap box houses that we moved into usually became some of the nicest houses in the neighborhood because my parents and my sister and my, we would restore these houses and paint them, fix the yard, do the roof, like do everything. We were just really handy. So, you know, what do you currently have? What are you grateful for? Quit trying to think about what other people have. Maybe that could be an inspiration for you, but you know, if you're not grateful for what you have today, regardless of what that is, then what makes you think you're going to be grateful for the things that you're going to achieve later on? Because that's something that's internal that we have to develop. We have to work that like a muscle. We have to become grateful every day for where we're at, what we need, or we providing for, right? So I think just growing up like that, seeing the struggle for that, I was thinking about, man, how can I go make a six-figure income? Because nobody in my family was doing that. Nobody in my either side of my family had got a college degree before. And so I said, okay, maybe a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer. Those are the things they always throw at you. Like if you want to make a hundred thousand dollars and be a middle-class rich, go be a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer. Well, it's like, okay, I like cars a lot. Maybe there's something in engineering. Cause I definitely didn't want to go be a surgeon and work <laughs> on people that are injured and blood and gore. Like I'm not, I'm not interested in dealing with people like that. Right. Right. And so, I said, okay, mechanical engineering. And, and that's what I did. I pursued a mechanical engineering degree. It took me seven years. I was a very average student in school because I was working full time in construction, just like my dad. So I was a welder, a pipe fitter, an insulator, an epoxy coder, like all these different roles. I was paying for my own college and going to school at night. And on the weekends, I would wait tables and I'd work as a mechanic on Sundays because the restaurant wasn't open yet. So I was always in that hustle and grind mode for about 10 right. years of my life, most of my 20s. 
And that's kind of my background. And that's when I started thinking about how can I start businesses? How can I do things that don't require my hours? How can I make money online? This is around 96. You start to see the internet started to become a thing and people are using it for more like entertainment. It's like, man, there's got to be a way to make money on the internet. So I started going down that road and trying to figure that out. So, you know, obviously you're not afraid to work your ass off. The question is, you know, when I really like I feel like I've like I've worked my ass off, you know, especially like there's working hard and then there's working hard towards something and spending a lot of time and investing a lot of time and money in something. But you always hear work smarter, not harder. And then you start to think and you do hear people say, oh, I have a strict policy. I work 12 hours a week, but I accomplish all this or, you know. Where do you shake out on the harder versus smarter equation? You know, this is a good question. It's very relevant. I actually just finished up another podcast, right? As a friend of mine, he's been on my show before, and he summarized this very well, and I want to use it. His name is PJ, so you guys hear that episode if you listen to my show. But he said most people want to be a wealthy man. Like most men want to be a wealthy man, but most men are not willing to become a man of wealth. And that's an intriguing statement when you think about that. Okay, a wealthy man is just really focused on the result. It's like, hey, I want to be rich. I want to have the X amount of money in my bank account. That's what they want. They want the result, but they don't even become the man of wealth, which is the man with skills, the man with knowledge, the man with dedication for 20 years to be able to create that result. And so what you're talking about getting smarter versus working harder, what are the skill sets that you're lacking? It's no longer a viable excuse nowadays to think, I don't know how to do this because every single thing that you don't know how to do exists out there somewhere on cyberspace or through mentors or through coaches. You can literally learn everything. You probably could learn brain surgery on YouTube. I haven't looked, but I bet you could learn it. You may not be able to practice it because no one's going to let you cut them the experiment, but maybe in some third world country, you may be in some <laughs> opportunity someday and yeah. somebody needs an emergency brain surgery that's roadside. And you're like, dude, I, I studied YouTube brain surgery for 10 years and I'm your only option and I have a scalpel. So there might be that opportunity for you to get that. So what is the skill sets that you're willing to go invest in to become the person that actually creates the wealth? And, you know, we evolve. Too many people get stuck where they're at. They think like, oh, you know, I've got the education already and I'm done reading. I, I finished right. college. I'm never going to read a book again. Like, I'm good. You know, it's unfortunate in the United States that most people, most adults have not read a book since high school. Since high school. Crazy. You and I, we read all the time. I got shelves and shelves and shelves, you know, at, at the house of books. Got audio books always playing. I'm always learning new things every single day. And so... What are the skills and the knowledge base that you should learn to be able to create that income, to be able to create that opportunity, that future for you? If you're not investing heavily, heavily, like daily in that, in that kind of regard, you're not becoming a man or a woman of wealth. So that's what it is. It's not work, work smarter, not harder. It's invest. Yeah. Invest more. The work shouldn't be just work. That's how you know when you've turned a corner is when you're investing because work mm -hmm. that you do to get paid which is great, is a pretty transactional experience, even if you're passionate about your job. But if you're really learning stuff, then you have a shot at, at seeing a, a bigger return, you know? Um, speaking of learning, you have started learning comedy. You took an improv, like a serious 
<laughs> serious improv, serious improv class. Like, like it was a months long, it was a months long, uh, course, right? Yeah. It was a, a year long. It was five different long. courses and yeah, about eight weeks a piece. So yeah, we got this little certificate that says like, you're a badass improv grad, whatever. It's funny because it's funny, right? <laughs> it is funny. So th this wasn't the YMCA try improv for two hours right. course. No, 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 no. <laughs> I totally get that. You know, and I did it. I think I did a year long also. Uh, yeah, I did it both with acting and with improv, which for me was they I did both post having done them even professionally. Yeah. Like I had acted professionally and done comedy professionally before I ever did those classes. But those classes were really important for the reason we just talked about. Like I, yes. I, I had a very different feeling being on stage knowing that I had trained somehow for it. Mm -hmm. Even if some of the things I learned I didn't agree with or some of the things I learned I knew instinctively. It didn't matter. The point was I put in hours. I put in time to learn it. But let's talk about what's fun about comedy for you. What was your favorite part of doing improv? Well, to me, I started out in the public speaking type courses through Toastmasters and public speaking coaches because I was really uncomfortable with that stuff. I had stage fright. I didn't like putting myself out there. And so for about four years ahead of that, I was in Toastmasters and I eventually became a club president and was recruiting people into it and helped many other people kind of get over their fears and learn the tactical strategies, how to become a better entertainer and communicator. Right. And so for me going into improv, I didn't have the stage fright like a lot of my troop members did because they were maybe that was the first time for them to even be on a stage or have right. to say something in front of people. So I came in with that advantage already, but I had to earn that, right? It was something I had to go through. But here's the main differences between public speaking or being a speaker versus an improv comedian. From a speaker perspective, we're always refining the way we speak, the way we communicate, our style, the stage present, the way... We may use some vocal inflections. Like it's always us that we're investing in our own skills, our own brand, our own presence. Right. When you're in improv, all that stuff goes out the window because you don't know what character you're going to be assigned unless right. you're the one that's initiating. Right. When I walk out there and we're on a stage and you say, Hey, you're something or 85 or whatever. I have to immediately go into that character and act and think and speak like I best I can in that regard from that perspective. And so we're no longer performing ourselves. We're no longer getting to be our voice. We're being forced constantly, sometimes multiple different times per set that this is not me and I'm having to just act this out as best I can and keep the storyline going. So that's where the real challenge is with improv. And it's also, the crowd work and lear learning how to deal with the people in the audience and react and take input from them and make that into a story and things like that. So it's, it really presses your creativity on the fly. As you speak, it becomes even more obvious to me that how different it is from what we do here. You know, you are so thoroughly yourself and, mm -hmm. and, you know, plain spoken and comfortable on camera and behind the mic and talking to people and it puts them at ease that way. Mm -hmm. But performance comedy, like, you know, that's so different. Yeah. You know, I let, we talked about, about doing this, let's do a game. But what I haven't done yet on yes brand is really, I haven't done a character thing. I haven't okay. done anything where we really have to be that different from ourselves because the people that I've had on, 
you know, while totally being game, I don't want to throw on them. Oh, you have to be French or you have to be this or you have to be a that you have to you have to have a, you know. Yeah. So but but if you're if you're down, what yeah. we can each do is give one another suggestions because it doesn't make sense for us to give ourselves. Oh, let's just do an improv skit. Just you initiate it and then we'll, we'll keep it going and we don't have to go very long. It could be a short form, but. Yeah. We're just trying to get to a, a grand finale, so to speak, right? Right. We'll have to get somewhere. Okay. Yeah. Well, do, are, are there particular games that you like? Like, is there a game that you like that has some very simple ground rules? No, I, I think us? I think just be just be creative. Just be creative. We don't have any third party here giving us input, so we can't do the recalls no, on them, right? We don't. There, and and that's it. And we can't tag out. We yeah. can't really. <laughs> we can't tag. Can't tag okay. out. It's just a, so it's just a two man show. It's a two-man show, and here we. And if it goes well, and again, you know, there's no such thing as failure in this, in this case. But if it's it art goes, form. It's artwork. It's, art. it's artwork. I'm gonna put some singer spray in here. So, you want some? If we have to. Yeah. Spray. Thanks. There you go. Thank you. Thank okay. you. All right. So, throw out a location. You throw out the location. Where are we? We are Riverside. Okay. <laughs> There's your, there's your third party. I'm okay. reading the top of this. I'm literally reading the top of the screen, people. Oh, that's right. Riverside. Okay, but we're Riverside. That's the Riverside. Location. That's the location. <laughs> okay. And I would say that you are a chef from Europe. You're a European chef. Okay? And then you tell me what, what I am. Hmm. I'm just going to say you're my best friend... But you're a 65-year-old grandmother. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Sounds good. All right. And, and let's start and see. There you go. Okay. What are you doing? I am here at this riverside, and I just want to pick the vegetables so the soup is very, very, very tasty for my constituents. Well, I would love to make sure that this time we do something vegan. Can we do a vegan dish? We're always uh, pulling from the ocean the fish, but we never uh, pull like the weeds. Something like this. I see where you're going with this, and it's not the first time you try to dissuade me from using the rabbit. And you know I'm very famous for the rabbit soup. Oh, no, the rabbit soup. Why the rabbit. Oh, you know, don't you know, remember that when I first, when you first came to my home and you didn't have any family, there was nobody that was... It was a miserable time. Miserable you time. Were, you were cold, lonely, and naked. And I took you inside. And what did I have as my pet? What was my pet? A rabbit. Uh, that You're still going to bring that story up. I am going to, I, 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 I'm supposed to forget just because it's 40 years ago already. I, from my country, rabbits are not pets. I, I thought you had gone shopping for our dinner that evening and I should have asked, but I just wanted yeah. to surprise you and hey, it was really good soup though, wasn't it? You should have asked. You should have asked. That's my point. Yes, it was a delicious soup. That's delicious. Why else would I send you to the the Sorbonne? Use my savings that my husband he should he should rest in peace left me. And what did I do with the money to put you through the Sorbonne? And you know now you are famous. 
But, you know, once a year we get to go fishing, you know, and I don't mind fishing uh, for, you know, for a little goldfish or something, but to murder a bass in cold blood. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're accusing me of fishing as in being a murderer? That is, that's a little over the line. Like, we are best friends. You cannot call me a murderer. If you can't call your murderer, uh, your best friend a murderer, what kind of relationship is it? Oh, this is a very complicated relationship. I'm glad I never married you. Well, you know, I tell you what, it, it would have complicated things even further with our daughter, because already she was confused about why her, her mom's so old and her dad's so young. And, you know, one night a week we eat a vegan meal and the next night we're eating, you know, a chicken and deer. What is with the deer meat all the time? So she was confused enough. Marriage would only complicate it. I agree. I agree. So the, I can explain the deer, though. It's very gamey and it's very much an acquired taste. And I just think that in order for us to become more elite, we need to acquire that taste. I'm tired of living in poverty and, and just eating this crap. So I said, hey, I'm going to introduce deer and make it an acquired taste. And then I start conversation with people with high net worth who will buy more of my rabbit soup. <laughs> okay, so I don't want to I don't want to cut you <laughs> off. I mean, we could have got we could have gone on quite a long time. But Tony, the thing that I love is that it's circled back to high net worth. It's circled back to an acquired taste, things that are marketable, things that we can sell. I was drifting off into, you know, and it's, look, you're a very personable guy. It's understandable if I were an old European woman that I would, you know, just assume I would want to be married to you or at least have children with you. But I think, you know, my mind goes completely to the fantasy and I forget <laughs> about money. And you're like, okay, you know, we got to at least monetize. You know, if I'm going to be a chef, I have to monetize it. A vegan, a vegan chef. A vegan just, chef. Well, a vegan chef. You know, do you have you ever invested or worked with anybody who was in the restaurant business? Yeah, I actually worked in restaurants for about ten years of my life, from fifteen oh. to about twenty-five. So I actually managed a couple later on while I was in school. Oh, see, and then I and that was my suggestion to have you be a chef. Or do you cook? I do cook. I, I enjoy cooking. Not don't do it as often, but it's mostly just healthy stuff nowadays. Oh, are you vegan? No, that's unhealthy. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a protein. You're you're a protein I like advocate. Meat. You yes. like meat. Yeah. yeah, there's there are arguments to be made that uh, you know the meat and potatoes kind of approach is probably healthiest for us. Well, you think about it. Most most of the vegans I know they they love animals. They don't want to see animals get harmed. I get that. That's a nice. You know, it's a nice type thought, but there's a reason that the humans became top of the food chain. And right. if you go out into the wilderness or the ocean and you're not the top of the food chain in that atmosphere, those animals aren't going to cut you any slack because you're vegan. They're going to let you know who the top of the food chain is. So why waste that if we work so hard over millions of years of evolution to become top of the food chain? Yeah. To me, the superior life form in our lives are dogs that's honestly what i i just think when i look at it when i look in my dogs when i look at any dog's eyes i always feel like 
they, that's a superior life form. They know something we don't. They have a level of empathy that we don't have. And happy. Uh, they're happy. And they're, they're, happy. Happy. they're happy to see you. They're happy to see you. They they don't bitch and moan about a lot of, a they don't lot of hold stuff. grudges. That's right. They don't hold grudges. They might put you through a little hell if you go away <laughs> for a long time. But think about how happy they are yeah. to see you when you come home versus yeah. maybe a child that feels a little bit neglected. Look at the mood of the dog versus the child and, you know, don't take that wrong. Yeah, totally. I, I love my kids too. I, you know. They could have just totally shredded your entire sofa. That's right. But their tail will be wagging when you walk in. Everything up, but they're but yeah, they're still they're happy to see you. They're, they're still happy. happy. So so I'm glad we didn't I'm glad it was a rabbit. If I had to choose between a rabbit and a and a dog, I'm glad you chose to cook the rabbit. So all right. So with everything you've accomplished and your work ethic and what what's on the docket now what's your what's the the project du jour that you're throwing yourself into right now there's probably more than one project but what's like the thing you know for the last five years with the the books and the stages and the podcast that's all great i love doing this stuff but also understand that there's a benefit to becoming more frequent at these type of messages and getting more content out there to reach a greater audience because i'm a legacy type person where I'm pursuing purpose based in legacy. And if you ask a legacy, it's I want to impact the generation generational legacy of millions of people by teaching them confidence and business principles. And the only way I'm going to be able to reach millions of people is by amplifying my message, growing the audience, building content that people will enjoy and share and get out there because ultimately that's where it's going to be is I've impacted people. And so that just takes work, man. And you can multiply the effort, build a team, production team, things like that. But I think a lot of times people say that they want these goals, but they're just unwilling to put in the actual work to go create that. And the people that are out there that we recognize that are at the top of any industry, they had to put in a lot of work. Like things just don't come easy to you. You don't inherit influence or success in most regards. So what is it that you want to achieve in your life? And what is the pathway and the amount of work that you're going to have to put in to get there? Be real realistic with yourself, because if you can't achieve that, based on your own time constraints or your own self-limiting beliefs or your insecurities. Again, these are all things that you should be investing in to get ahead. And that's just, I'm willing to go do that. So I feel like it's been very comfortable for about the last year and I don't like comfort. So I'm always looking for ways to just kind of push it a little harder. Yeah. And that explains a lot because naturally you probably laid this all out and you thought, okay, well, if I want to reach more people, if I want to get this message out, I got to go on Hirsch's podcast. I got to do the yes brand conversation you know now you're ticking off the box and you can move five on years it. man it's been five you know, years I, i've been look, plotting this look it took five me years. it took me tony first of all it took me several years just to come up with the first podcast truth tastes funny and that was the uh, test case hmm. for doing an even bigger podcast called Yes Brand. I even did some Yes Brand interviews like five years ago that were, you know, I would interview my friends. It was in the days where I didn't even know what podcasts could do. And I recorded them and technically they were out there, but it was like, I don't think anybody really heard them. Mm -hmm. But that is one of the things that I seriously love about the podcasting thing is that you can, you know, build these things to where they're useful and people hear them. They're entertainment, man. It's they are. You know, the, we take it for granted because think about, I mean, we're older dudes. So think about back even 20 years ago. Yeah. 
If you wanted to have your voice reach thousands of people or you wanted your face to be seen by thousands of people, you had to know the gatekeepers of the Titan Industries. You had to know somebody at FM radio. You had to know somebody at the broadcasting networks on television because those gatekeepers were the ones that you had to pass through to be able to get your voice or your face out there to the public. Nowadays, we walk around with smartphones that you can go live. That's that blows my mind that you can go live and reach thousands of people instantaneously from some device that you carry in your pocket or your purse. Yeah. And we have all this technology available, yet so few people are actually utilizing it. They take it for granted. I think it's just they don't realize how hard it was even 10 years ago. And now they just kind of live with it every day. So it's like, ah, no big deal. But it's a huge opportunity that's going to waste for most people. And that's something that we should have. It was sort of a, a, really a big gift 20 years ago to have this. Yeah. We're not that far apart in age. I'm a little ahead of you, but, I, but I'm a little behind you in terms of the stages. And so now I'm at that thing where my book will come out this summer. I'll want to be like doing stages. I'll, you know, I'll want to do that. But one thing I want to discuss with you at some point is come back around to comedy and maybe do like a do something called three six five comedy and do a stage show mm. that encompasses because I already I was writing a stage show called Truth Tastes Funny, but it was really just observational comedy, personal comedy, stuff like that. Now having mm. done the podcast, having launched the Yes brand consultancy and all this stuff, now I have all this business stuff that's flowing into my mind and out yep. of my out of my mouth and it's like okay now if i do a stage show it can't just be comedy it has to be like business oriented and yeah. life success oriented so yeah. i would love to if you're open to it, it's no commitment here we're you know but if you're open to it we should talk about that because i think that would be fun funny and and impactful to do something on stage that converts comedy into acumen yeah and it, it stays on brand i think that you know it's if you're going to go down a comedy path and you're already trying to establish a brand or some kind of authority in the subject for me being business right why would i go do a bunch of comedy on movies for right, example right. Like just something that's not even related to what i do so some of the most highly engaged posts I've created or videos I've created is I'm just making fun of guru shit. You know, like you see people right. out there doing stupid shit, like renting the Lambo. And one of the jokes I always say is like, why do they always stand in front of it with their arms crossed, angry looking with a mean mug and both doors are wide open on the car. It's like, well, they're by themselves. Why are there two doors open? Did somebody escape or are they waiting for their dog to jump in? Or like, what, where's the checkbox that says, if I own a Lamborghini, I have to have both doors open and stand in front with my arms crossed and look angry. Like, why would you be angry if you owned a Lamborghini? Wouldn't you be happier to like, yeah. does it make, does it make me angry or more defensive? Cause my arms get crossed if I buy a car like that. And so I was making this video like that. And I said, I walked outside and at the time I had a Jeep and I just stood in front of my Jeep and I did the same pose and I went, Oh shit. And I had to go open all four doors of the Jeep to make sure all four doors were open. And then I did the thing and everybody's roared. They were like, dude, that's hilarious. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like, it doesn't, I guess it has the same effect, you know? Well, that's why my book is, my book is called Hirsch Rapun's so-called thought leader. Because I have that same perspective, yeah. like like the idea of being, and there's nothing wrong with leading in thought. It's just the idea of, that we would even think of ourselves that way or that someone, we would seek that kind of, you know, a moniker or whatever. Anyway. Uh, well, it's, it's like when someone tells you they're handsome, that, that's, that's weird. That's right. like one of those things you don't say out loud, I guess. 
Right. Well, you don't say it. You don't say it because enough people tell you. I, in my case, I'm a little bit. You know, I got to go out and I got to drum up. I got to drum up attention. You get a fish for the compliments. You know, I look. It took me. I've been married 18 years now, and it took me 18 years to stop asking my wife if I was good looking. You know, honey, honey, does this uh, dr does your dress make me look fat? She told me 20 years ago, you're not the kind of guy I would typically date, and I took that as like being like something. You're supposed to be better. You're you're a step above. I have to work. Well, I have to now work to get up there. I don't know what it was, whether it was a championship skier or triathlete or whatever it was that she, that she had in mind. But it's, you know, that's the way that I've approached it is like with a, just a touch of excessive insecurity. Well, this is, this is great. I like to give my guests the last word and let you share in part a message to the CEOs, the founders, the business people and aspiring business people that are out there looking to figure out how to shape their brands. What's a little closing thought you might want to leave them with? It's kind of a morbid one because I'm also great. Yeah. Yeah. I knew you would <laughs> like that. It, I'm motivated by mortality and more not, not motivated by death, but knowing that we are all going to die. Everybody listening to this, everybody watching this, we are all going to die sooner that you face that fact becomes a reality because it is, but then you start to realize like the things that you've been putting off, things that you procrastinate, things that you know, you want to achieve in your life. You're always saying like someday I'm going to do that. Or, you know, when the time is right, I'm going to start this and guys, there's no, there's no time. There's no perfect time for anything. There really isn't. And, whatever excuses or self-limiting beliefs that you currently have that are holding you back or keeping you in the current position that you're in today are only going to have newer versions of those excuses later on. So those things are not going to change for you. So I want you to just take that imperfect action. I just want you to take the smallest steps to move forward. If it's starting a business, Hey, you know what? Go online, create a business checking account, go create an EIN register for an LLC. You can do all this online. Literally you could have a, a registered business within a two day period. Like it's pretty easy nowadays. So those are very small steps that may take two hours of your time, but little steps built over a long time, still build a lot of distance. And soon, soon enough, you'll look back over years. Like, man, I'm so glad I started earlier. I was like, this is amazing. Like, why did I put this off? It's because we look at the entire scope of all the things that we want to accomplish and we become overwhelmed. We go, oh man, I want to become a multimillionaire and start all these companies and have employees and do this brick and mortar storefront and buy, you know, like, like when you think of all of that, yeah, that wears me out just thinking about that. But what can you do today? What are the resources that you have today? What are the littlest things that you can do today? And that what this is going to do is build momentum. And momentum is a powerful thing that most people really also don't have the, the, the gratefulness to have. It's get it going and don't stop. Be, be relentless with this. Start working on a little bit more every single day, 365 driven, right? And soon enough, you will get those results. So whatever is holding you back or the fear of criticism or the fear of judgment or what your friends are going to think about you evolving or improving or investing in yourself, realize that they're not paying your bills. You know, and you hope that these people that you're holding you back are are going to be at your funeral, but likely they're not. If they're critics and naysayers and haters, they're not going to be at your funeral. They're not going to be at your deathbed later on in life. And you're going to look back in those moments when you're elderly and go, man, why didn't I do that? Why didn't I do that? Why didn't I do that? And always comes back to the fear of judgment and criticism of the other people. And then you're going to go, well, who in my mind would have been that? Who, who's that critic that I had? Like, oh, so-and-so, 
they're not at your funeral, they're not at your deathbed, but you're going to be really regretting life when you look back and realize that you didn't do the things that you wanted to do in your life because you're so worried about the judgment or the harsh words from those individuals who don't support you. So quit letting these people dictate your daily life. Go do what you need to do to find your fulfillment, your happiness, your success, however you define that, and quit worrying about what other people think or say about you because they're not there to support you. The ones that will support you will show up and focus more on the people that you serve, the people that you gain the support from versus the people that are going to criticize you. Because I'll tell you, they're, they're going to criticize you. Everybody that has changed history in the entire history of mankind has had critics, naysayers, haters, sometimes even murderers. So what makes you think that you're the special one that's going to make everyone like you? It's literally impossible. So go out there and go do that thing. If you liked the show, yes, and it worked for you. Yes, and subscribe and leave a yes, five-star review. Yes, tell all your friends. Yes, get your branding here. Yes, get your branding here. Yes, did I make it clear? Yes, get your branding on. Yes, before they're gone. Yes.